Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry, I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFour in the Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me, Jeff, I don't even know what chapter we're on. But I don't Jeff either. Falls, I don't know. 15, 16, somewhere like that. <laughs> Did you have, ever have any idea when we started this thing that it would go this many chapters? Did you think it would be this well, many? Well, I didn't know it would go this long, but I knew I knew it was going to go a lot longer than what you guys thought because I knew the story was long, you know. And you said you wanted details. When we first started, I said, I want details. Well, I'm trying to give you every detail <laughs> I can, so it takes a while. Well, I can't. I can't forget my counterpart he's not going to be joining us in the co-host seat this week bill is at icast man you talk about a show that's gotten huge that icast yeah. show is humongous yeah that's what i've heard yeah that's awesome that is awesome so yeah i miss i miss him i always like his input because he's a level-headed guy that that uh gives you the you know, he's not on anybody's side. He just gives you a level-headed answer. Well, he texted me this morning. I said, you're, you're at ICAST, right? I said, he said, yeah. I said, so you're not going to be on the podcast today. He said, no, nah, it probably wouldn't make for good sound. And I know how ticky you are about your sound. <laughs> I said, good deal. Yeah. So I, th- I thought he told us that last week. But, Jeff, I Yeah, I can't this. remember. Old school way of thinking because you you kind of one of those uh, you kind of one of those guys that's that from the old school that that sits on the the board the 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 grandfathers you know this is the way we do things you know um, mm-hmm. you know something popped up yesterday as social media has entered the entered the world. Right. It's kind of changed the way that hunting companies or outdoor product companies have marketed themselves. Right. It so did. You know, it's in in in, uh, in so many ways. It's crazy in every different way. And it's uh, when the first the first thing that it did, anybody can market because it's free. That's what that was to me. The major change of all that was it's free. So when something's free, the world can get involved now, market any way they want to. So 
Um, you're Jeff, not buying you, ads hey. now, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we used to buy an ad for a magazine for yeah. Fools by Graders, uh, yep. the, the call company. I don't think yep. that people really and truly understand because I, I'm sure as big of a company as it was that you, you probably took out a half page or a full page ad. It was I nothing took a full to do page that. And I did some half a pages, but most of the time, I mean, uh, I had contracts with Wildfowl for years <clears throat> for a full page. Um, then on their equipment <laughs> issue, you know, they might give you another full page, you know, or some place we did a full two page uh, spread. Uh, Delta Waterfowl did one and it ever every one. Uh, about the only one I didn't do was Ducks Unlimited because they were just so expensive, couldn't afford it. But uh, every hey, tell, small Jeff, newspaper, whatever we did, you know. So tell tell people what an ad. Just a guess. I, I, you may not exactly remember, but tell people what what it used to cost to advertise in one of those magazines. Well, like for Wildfowl. Wildfowl and Delta was about the same. Delta was a little bit higher, but uh, I would make a deal with the boys at Wildfowl. I was good friends with them. They hunted with me and stuff. And anyway, uh, usually that one there. Uh, and then I did the other one with, uh, oh, was it American Wild Waterfowler uh, with Jay Stranges? Um, I did a full page of that also. But in a Wildfowl ad, to make the ad now, now I didn't go cheap. I went, uh, I got Lee Joe's, which is everybody knows is probably the most phenomenal photographer and and uh, you know in the business. <clears throat> and uh, in fact, he's got the cover. I know he, I just looked at. It, I said he just did the cover for Wildfowl this month. But just to make that one ad, uh, and he gave me a discount was about five grand just to make the ad. And then the place he had was about, um, according, we, we would dicker back and forth, like buying a car, building a car, buying a car, you know, but it was anywhere from 26, 2700 to 3500 you know, per ad. So, per issue. So, absolutely. There's a whole Crazy. different ballgame. I know for a fact, uh, and I did the marketing for Bigfoot at the time. And then Lee and I were both involved with uh, FAs, uh, with the marketing they did at the same time. And between, well, the last time I knew, and, I re, and there's a reason I remember this, um, in the, the Delta alone, between Bigfoot and I, with them a Bigfoot uh, a full page ad in mind, and I believe me, we did some dickering, and I'd always do, I'd always do the, uh, make, you know, get the ads out and do all that. So we'd get a better deal by doing two, but that still was twenty five to twenty seven thousand dollars for the two of us ever every year. <laughs> so it was a, a whole different ballgame, you know. It was it was uh, than it is now, and yeah, you would cringe when you would sign that contract or make that ad, but it worked because people that was the only way people people couldn't wait for the, that to come in the mail, you know. So and it was always hard to track how it worked, whether it worked, whatever, you know, it's not like it is now on Facebook or whatever. You can track how many people viewed it or whatever. You didn't know that. Uh, all you knew is if, if a, the way I looked at it, as long as calls are selling, I can afford it. It must be working. So I'm buying it. And so anyway, that was kind of the way it worked back then. Um, the only other way you could do it was buy a, uh, commercial on, uh, and we did some of that, you know, on, on, uh, one of the TV channels, you know, or something. We did some of that, but, uh, and all the local, like, like back then, 
you would have, uh, you know, and I think they still, there's one, uh, uh, a paper flyer, a sporting deal out of Peoria, Illinois. There's one out of Chesapeake Bay and all different areas like that. And I would put ads in all those. And some of them might even write stories and trade stories for it or whatever. But yeah, it was a whole, whole different marketing game then. So with that, Tom, Dick, and Harry is just starting out and never blew a call or won a contest or nothing. Couldn't just go have somebody turn them a call and start getting on Facebook and Instagram and be an instant overnight hero. They had to prove it. You had to make it, you know, and it went and you had to make some money at it and then get your ad, you know. So, yeah, it was a whole. And the way you did that, you went to shows, you know, and, and, and the show scene was as big a marketing thing as anything at that point because. There was one time we did 35 shows one year, and we did, and, and we had two trainers going two different directions a lot of times, and the shows and the shows were just uh, absolutely insane because there was no Amazon, there was no online and finding nothing like that. You know, you went to the show to try the call out to buy your products, to buy your decoys, to buy your mojo, to buy anything in the outdoor. That's how you did it. So that was probably as big a marketing for me as as the ads were. So. Yeah, it was a whole different ball game, you know, so that it is now. You know, you bring up an interesting point. So you're telling me back in the old days, I couldn't start 2020 duck calls and, man, check out this new 2020 Mallard duck call and you bet. I just saw 2020 on the television as I right. sit here and record. But you're saying in the old days, if you didn't win any contest or wasn't what you weren't a proven caller, you just weren't going to start a call company and man, no, you're gonna make it. wasn't going to happen. Was not going to happen. Um, you just and don't just look at me. You just look back at Tim Grounds. You look at you know Sean Mann. You look and and uh, Ricky Dunn. You know, Butch Richenbach, you look at the ones that were involved at that point, you know, Fred Zink started there right after that and all that. But not one of these people. And that was probably your main ones. Sean, man, he'd won a bunch of contests. Tim Grounds won a ton of contests. Ricky Dunn won a bunch of contests. Butch Richenbach, myself, Zink, we'd all, that's how we had made our name, you know. To me, it's kind of like NASCAR. Those boys make their name and get a get a uh, the way they get a job is they prove themselves out there on that track, you know, you know, every weekend, you know, somewhere or the other, bringing up from karting to, to, you know, to sprint cars to whatever, they make their name on that track and they move up that way. You just don't go make a Facebook page or an Instagram page and put pretty pictures of a car and have somebody build it for you. And the next thing you know, you're the world champion you know, racer out there, unless you prove yourself. And that's what it used to be. You know, I mean, if there was no, when you would go to a show and there'd be call makers there, I mean, just to name a few, like, like I'd go to Memphis and next to me usually would be duck commander. Robinson would be there. Uh, myself, um, Barney Caleb. I don't think Barney's making calls at the time, but there'd be rich in tone, uh, grounds maybe there, even though he hated to do shows, he might be there. Freddie would be there, you know, 
Um, you know, and a lot of guys hated doing shows and, and always did, you know, like, like Tim and them, I didn't like to do it. But to me, that was a major, major marketing part for me, for me was that. And you would go to the show and after you left the show, your phone ring off the hook, you know, and then you slam a big ad in Wildfowl or Delta or whatever after that. And it, and, and business was on and that was a marketing aspect of the time, you know, and you could call up Lee Joseph and put him on there and he would tell you today that that was, that was true. One to me, that was true marketing right there. You know, that was the old school way, the hard way to do it, you know, and you had to earn it. You didn't get it give to you by, you know, and and I'm not beating up on anybody, but I see these call companies that are different ones now that's got different kind of product. And uh, Instagram's free, Facebook's free, you know, Snapchat's free, and these guys go out and they and they just they made their self made their self a call company or made their self a product by just throwing pictures of all this stuff and just loading it full, you know. And I'm not saying that's a you know, a bad thing, but to me, like any other thing else on this earth, you got to earn it, you know? So I don't know. I mean, uh, it's, it's a whole different world now than it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, you, you know, yeah, I'll say something. Let me say this real quick. And I want to see if you agree with me. I, I think it's a, it's a sad world we live in that, these hunting expos and these, uh, the, uh, oh gosh, I mean, you, you have these expos and these trade shows that, that everybody used to attend. Mm-hmm. And, man, that's one thing growing up that we didn't, we didn't spend, I mean, not that it cost a lot of money to go to a trade show or a hunting expo or whatever it may be, but, you know, that was one thing that we were going to do. If there there was one close by, we were going to participate. We were going to go to it. Oh, we were going to see wait. the new innovations. And to me, growing up and going through that at that time, it's sad to see that the participation is so low when somebody tries to start one of these events. You know, from a from a from a consu- from a consumer and a company standpoint. Right. They just don't feel it's important to, yeah. number one, from the consumer, they, they see them on social media every day. They don't need to go see them. They see what's new. And exactly. then from a company standpoint, it's like people, I don't need you. Just just follow me. If you want to know anything about me, follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, and, if you, and you know, I'll tell you what, what I think you might know, and I'll go on somebody else's page, see what they said about it, or I'll Google it, and I'll find out, you know, everything there is to tell you, then I'll make me myself look like a hero. And, and I'm not beating up anybody, but it's just the way the world is right now. You know, it's like these shows, people used to plan their vacations around these things. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy because it was a major, yep. major event. And like the Ducks Unlimited Memphis, you know, um, I went to that for several, several years and it just, you know, I mean, it just kind of petered out, but, uh, but the one in Oshkosh, you know, was my gosh. I remember, I remember going up there setting up the booth, and I looked behind me. I could see the gate, and I look at that, and I ended up buying a forty by forty tent. It got to be so big. And I look at that line out there, and the line coming in would be a hundred fifty yards long, you know. 
It's like he's waiting to see the president at a funeral or something. I mean, it was crazy. And, man, they come in and you're like, get ready, boys, here they come. You know, and and uh, you would have to be so stocked up and have a bunch of people working and, you know, and all that is gone. I mean, it's just flat gone, you know. It's, and now, like, I'll give you a good one, for example. I did every show from one end of this country to the other almost. I, I, the, all the ISE shows, all the small – if it was a small show, we were talking about this the other day, me and a buddy of mine. I said it didn't matter if it was a podunk show – you know, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky or some, I was gone. I was going, you know, some way, somehow, Canada, wherever we were, we went. I mean, it was that crazy. Or I had a staffer doing it. I sent another truck or trader or something to do it. But we went to this. And then you call them up and going, all right, they're calling me. If you do seminars, yeah, okay, I'll trade you booze space for it, do whatever. Some of that still exists. But <clears throat> you knew when you went there what it was going to be. I'll give you a real good prime example. The best show bar none, uh, that used to be, was Game Fair in Minnesota. Did you ever go to that, Rocky? No. That was probably the biggest, biggest show. And Minnesota has always been one of my number one selling states. But uh, um, that show, there's a a couple owns this uh, ground up there. And uh, it was a kennel. And it's still a kennel, I guess. And they've got a kennel there in a big lake. And anyway, they took this ground and they had... uh, uh, pass around here. They had like a, a golf cart pass around it. And they, anyway, they, they ended up starting the same game for years and years, way before my time. Well, back in the nineties, they had a calling contest up there and I'll never forget. I went to this calling contest. I thought, well, I got to go up there and get this contest. So I went to this contest. It was a little bitty stage and everybody's sitting on straw bales and uh, it was hot and it was in August. And so I went up there to this contest up there and I remember Alan McCree and myself and maybe Freddie was there, I think, and Ground. There was several of us there. Anyway, I went to this, and it was in the early 90s. And I went to this thing, and I don't remember how I did the contest, but I walked around this, and I thought, oh, my God, I can't believe the people at this place. So I went back. And I used to guide out of Michigan, Brooklyn, Michigan, where Knutson's is. You ever heard of Knutson's store? Uh, Big waterfowl store fishing store and it's right next to the racetrack up there and uh, they've been in business for years and that's where we guided out of and those guys used to do point malay show and four or five other shows i went to them and i, and I used to go sell calls for them at these shows so i went back and told jim Knutson, i said jim i'm not kidding you man you have got to go get a booth at this game fair it's crazy these people are starving for you know for something so they did and because his mom or mother-in-law or somebody lived there. So it was perfect for them. They could stay there. And in in, in, uh, and it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then a week off and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday again. So I went up there with them and worked for them for four or five years. It was ridiculous. But I had to sit there, and they had every call known to man. And they had them in shadow boxes with glass on them, and I'd open them up, and blow them, do whatever. And these people had never heard of anything other than a big river flute. I never, and, and you had to teach everyone. Nowadays, you go up there, every one of them can blow a short read, whatever. You know, they're great callers. But back then, nobody could. So, I mean, it was, the selling was crazy. People were lined up. It was nuts. So, um, Freddie and I, I told Freddie, I said, let's get a booth up there. So, I'd first come out with my calls, and I went up there to sell them. And Freddie and I got a booth, and it was just nuts. And so, I ended up getting a booth by myself and ended up getting one down by the lake on the main drag. Excuse me. And I had it for 
I don't know, 17, 18 years. I don't know what it was, something like that. So I went up there, and my booth just kept getting bigger. So for the last 12 years, 15 years, I had a 20 by 20 booth with the calls and videos and that in it. And then I had one right next to it, another one, uh, uh, 20 by 60. And we were right on the lake and layout lines by the lake and you work your dog by the lake. And it's a big, uh, also it's a big show with dogs and people bring their dogs and they have all kind of dog events and Tom Dock and a dude next to the lake do a big seminar. And there were seminars going on all the time, you know, and, uh, all three days I did one, uh, two o'clock every day for years, you know, for three days in a row. This got so big. People tell you, you know, when I was with uh, selling F.A. products, we had a trailer load of that. Uh, when Avery, when I was doing Avery stuff, we had container load shipped up there and would sell out of it after the first weekend. And then it would, uh, at last, I was selling Bigfoots, and four, you know, 48, 52-foot tractor trailer load I'd have brought in on Tuesday and dropped off so I could get to it. I had two guys. All they did was haul decoys to will call. That's all they did. I had two guys, all they did was sell them, you know, and it was stacked I had with mojos and layout blinds. I mean, it was, it, before layout blinds got super popular, it was nothing to sell five, six dozen layout blinds, you know, and uh, wow. it was nuts what we'd sell. And I would have, it would be, I swear to God, uh, there's a guy up there, he won the Minnesota State several times, good friend of mine, Johnny McDonald, I would sit back there, and another my Nick MacArthur, would sit back behind the booth and selling calls and that. And I would see people, four people deep back there going, give me that bourbon and water when I bring this here. And it was just, at the end of the day, you were beat, done. And I'm not going to tell you the amount we would sell, but it was ridiculous. And there was this, like I said, there was this blacktop road in front of us between the tents. And there was just hundreds of booze up there selling everything. And there was a blacktop road there between the tents. And and uh, you, if you had to go to the bathroom, you better plan on it because you ain't getting through this crowd. This crowd was wall to wall. You couldn't walk through it. Today, you can stand, in that, stand out in that aisle today and, and you can swing a dead cat and throw it for 100 foot and wouldn't hit anybody. You know I mean? It is done. It's this. So finally, after all these years, I always said that would never, ever, ever stop going to game fair. And now it's just, it's just done. It's not anybody's fault. It's just cost $15 yeah. a piece to get in, you know, a, a sandwich and some soda is a lot of money. I mean, so a family comes in and, and before, you know, they better have a hundred bucks set back, you know, to get in and buy, buy some food, let alone anything else they want. And why spend a hundred dollars when I can go on Amazon or whatever and, and buy it on there or go on, you know, online and buy everything. And I don't blame them. I get it. So, uh, well, so that was just, where I find it bigger that I'm done. Well, that's, you know, at these shows, that's where these, you would release new products. That would be the first mm-hmm. time the public exactly. saw a new product. Yep. Exactly. Hey, Jeff, take me behind the curtain just a second. And everybody that's listening to this, when, when you and, and one of the guys from the old school, you don't get on the phone and you talk about, I don't want I don't want this to make you look like a bad guy by any means. Okay? Let's get get that out of the way. But when you guys are talking and you look at how hunting is marketed today, I, I, I I'm in agreement with you. You know, the guys that it blows me away that the people that get the respect of fellow hunters is the one that can post the pretty picture. 
you know, when you guys, when you, when you guys are talking about that, what do you say? Uh, what we used to talk about a lot is went so far now, you know, everybody kind of has just shakes your head and goes on, but it's just, it's, I never thought it would evolve to this. Never. You know, I never, ever thought it would evolve to this. I would always thought, you know, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I started, I wouldn't even have thought about starting this unless I had several championships under my belt. I'd worked a bunch of shows. People knew who you were and all this, and then bring out something, you know. I wouldn't have dare thought if I could make three cuck, clucks and uh, on a goose call and and quack on a duck call that, you know, that I, I, I you know, I bought a little lathe and turned a barrel and put a, a stopper from Echo in it, you know, and I blew three notes on that. I, I, I wouldn't even have thought of went out there in front of public. And these and, and most of these guys don't. Most of them don't, you know, go out there, you know, the shows anymore. They just do it on online. And it's, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't like it. You know, I don't like it at all. I don't like it when people don't earn something. But And, and people may hate me for saying that, but it's the truth. You know, and today, we had a flip phone at best. Most of the time, we didn't have anything, you know. So, I wasn't going to get no picture, you know, worth of crap off a flip phone. And he didn't even think about taking one. We had to buy a camera. You know, we had a big camera, a nice camera. Or we had a, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, I, I remember Lee Joe's telling me, go buy this Nikon, blah, 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 this lens and all this. And I about crapped when I spent so much money. Then I didn't even know how to use it until I finally halfway figured it out. And I wouldn't have thought of putting those pictures in an ad. I may use them for a backboard on my booth or something, you know. But, I mean, of course, there was no place to put them back then, you know. It's just, it is ridiculous how it's changed, you know. I mean, it's, uh, and it goes back to what we were talking about before, how easy somebody could be destroyed, you know, over the internet, with, you know, with an internet cowboy sitting behind it, you know, you know, and he's, you know, tidy what he's eating Cheetos, you know. So it's, it's, it's crazy how this has all evolved and changed. I mean, I used to look, you said about bringing products out. I used to so look forward, and I still go to this show. I wouldn't miss it for anything. It's like when, but um, Burlington, Iowa. There's it's a one Saturday show in, in February, first weekend of February. Big big contest, and it used to be so big it was ridiculous. If I told you the dollar sales what it used to be, it, would be, it was nuts. But anyway, I still go to that because it's a big contest. Now. But but at that show right there, that was where we would bring out every year the promo tape of Fallen Skies or even before that, you know, Straight Meet the Video or The Grind or whatever, the promo, the highlights, the best with rock and roll music and all that. I could not wait to release that at that show. And everybody couldn't wait either. I'd have me a TV set up, a big old bulky TV with a VCR player, you know, and sitting. I couldn't wait to get that thing rolling and cranked up. And, I mean, they'd flog around it, you know. That was marketing. That's how you market it. And that was the other part of marketing, you know. That was the reason we did these videos. You did those videos to market your call. You didn't make a lot. Everybody said, oh, they made so much money on these videos. That didn't happen. If you figure five months of travel, cameraman and all that, and throw it in there, you know. Now, when VHS tapes were out, you used to sell them for 20 25 bucks a piece. There was some money in that. But it cost you $10 to build it, you know. So, that's that right. was your marketing. That was your marketing tool was all those DVDs and videos. When's the last time you seen anybody build one of DVD? Ooh, when's the last time you seen anybody? Nine. When's the last ten? time you seen anybody now spend five months out there 
trying to get the best footage. They don't do that. They go hunting 10 times and, and show the, show the highlights off an iPhone. You know, They're, the cameras now on the video off an iPhone is as good as anything, you know, that is way better than what we used to have, you know, on a fancy camera. So, and there's another, there's another thing that goes with this. There's, there's a million things that plays into this editing equipment. Back in the day, I'll never forget. You know, we always always had somebody editing my stuff. And one of the reasons, well, I didn't know how to do it, but the other part of it, the editing equipment was ridiculous. I remember, uh, do you know uh, Bob Richardson from Outdoors in the Heartland? They've been on forever, older guy. They, oh, yeah. anyway, they, you know, those guys, they called me up one time, was getting a new editing deal, and wanted me to give me a good deal on, on an editing deal, which was a good deal. I just said, I don't know how to use the thing. So it was dollars And back then, a beta cam, a beta cam, you know, was the big deal for like Realtree and all them. Fifty thousand dollars, fifty grand, you know, and the cameras, you know, even the cameras I were using, you know, were were five, ten, seven, you know, five, seven, eight grand. Now you can go buy a camera ten times better than that for under a thousand dollars if you want to use one. You get one for three hundred, you know, so. Everything has been made easier for people to market and do this here. That's why it has went. And, I'm, and is there anything wrong with that? I, I guess technology is awesome, but I miss. I personally miss. You know, maybe because I am old school, but I miss the shows, meeting the people. I'll give you a good example. Like, like I had seven to ten people at Game Fair, or a lot of different, or or at uh, Oshkosh or those shows all the time. It was a family reunion for us, you know. I met all these people. The staffers would come up every night. We would go out to eat dinner. Uh, sometimes that week off, I would stay and put calls together. One of my friends is uh, in uh, Sartell, Minnesota, put it in her basement, and then we would enjoy the week or whatever. So it was like a big friends gathering, you know. I just texted them all the other night and said, we need to get together and meet somewhere, you know. No show or nothing. We just need to meet and get together because you don't even see your people. You don't get to see the people you used to see every year. Couldn't wait to see at these shows, you know. Right. It's just lost all contact that way, you know, and I, I don't know. I think I, I don't, you know, not only, it was, not only was a show a great place to sell things, market stuff, people to try out calls, to try out products or whatever, get their decoys for a year. Now, you know, it was, uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just missing the people, I guess, is one of the biggest, uh, also, you know, one of the biggest things for me. Jeff, let me ask you this. In those, at that time, during that time period in the late 80s, all through the 90s, when you were in two th early 2000s, did it ever cross your mind to, because the video was so popular, did you think about going on TV? Well, I'm yeah. About, I mean, listen, you were, you were on TV all the time. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is having a, you know, Jeff Foles hunting show. Well, we kind of did. We had uh, Chasing the Flight show with Final Approach, and I hosted that show, and most of the hunts I did in that show. Not all the hunts, but most of them, and I hosted that TV show. It was on for, no, oh, two years, I guess. So that was in mid-2000s, something like this. And you're talking about the 80s and 90s. In that time is when we were, like, 
blowing in contests and trying to earn your way up and all that, you know, and going to different shows and doing that. And, and, uh, the really when this all this show thing that I really started going to on my own was from 99 to 2009, you know, in a 10 year period where it was just crazy, you know? And, uh, and I worked them way before that in the 90s, but uh, for other people, for Tam, different ones. But this is when, and, and, and don't get me wrong, we're still doing this, you know. So, and, and just to give you a little idea, we would start, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to give you some off the top of my head here. The end of July was the end of end of your life. <laughs> end of the next six months weren't your life anymore. You know, it was work. Right. So you started the first weekend of August at usually at Shields or Presley's or somewhere like that. Uh, or most of the time, Cabela's had their waterfowl fall fall weekend, waterfowl fall. So they had them all on the same time. So you had to send people. I had staffers going every direction, every Cabela's across the country. And then I had to be at a certain one, you know. So so you had that going on. You had Shields uh, always had a show going on at first of that. Um, and then the second and third weekend was always game fair. And I didn't care who was pulling at me to come where I went to that one. And then the next weekend you left there and you went straight from that straight to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So you rushed home, got more calls, more product ready, really, you know, in the meantime, you're ordering shirts and this and this and this and trying to get this all done. And then September started and I got to get the road and get guided, you know? So I started guiding and filming September 1st and then, I'm trying to say there's a show in Kentucky. Uh, we always one in, uh, oh gosh darn, out at the end of uh, uh, Southern Illinois. There's been one there, Marion, Illinois, forever. I mean, it was a, and, and while I'm hunting, I got somebody else at a show somewhere, you know. And then it went on even tend to uh, December, January, February at the ISE show. So there would be a time, the only break I ever took. I'd be home at Christmas, but I'd usually hunting on Christmas morning or Christmas afternoon and then all through that week. And then I would go to Florida at a place in Daytona and I would go there for New Year's Eve. Well, when I come back, I'd drive all the way back. Usually we would, me and my buddy drive back from Daytona and we come back. And when I got home, the truck was, trailer was packed, 28 foot trailers packed, trucks packed, everything's gone. There you go. I would basically sleep that night back that morning and in that diesel truck, big old truck, me and one other guy and to California we'd head. And we go to California, drive 36 hours, California, straight through, get to a show, set up, next day be at the show out there, come back from that, go to the straight from there. When that show was over at eight o'clock at night on a Sunday night, we hopped in that truck and drove straight through all night to Vegas, get there about five o'clock in the morning and be in line to set up at the shot show. And when we get done at the shot show after a week of that, you would load the truck up and trailer up and head right back to, uh, um, uh, uh, Colorado and do some filming there and do some filming there and then, uh, uh, do the ISC show there. So it was, that was just a rat race that you were in, you know, and a lot of times we would stop. If we could go earlier, we would go before the shot show. If it all didn't coincide, we'd go straight to Colorado, spend two to three weeks out there filming out there, and then we'd go leave there, dump all the products off in a garage in a storage shed, have the decoys in the front, load the decoys and blinds up, hunt for a week, throw the decoys back out, load all the products back up, head to Cal- head to Vegas, you know, to the shot show. And sometimes across that mountain, Jeez. you know, and 
and cross 70, you know, go across there, the, uh, you know, uh, it was brutal. You know, the road would be shut down, tractor trailers with chains on, there you are pulling this tractor, this big truck through there, driving all night to get to uh, Vegas. So, yeah, the road life alone would be a, a, a story. I always like that. Uh, Bob Seeger's got it best, you know, when he's on the road playing called Turn the Page, you know. It's a lot like that. I mean, it is non, non-stop, you know, so um, – yeah, and, and like most people think you're going to SHOT Show, oh, we'll go out there for four days. Well, that ain't it. When you've got a booth out there, you're there a couple of days before. Then it used to be uh, two days before the SHOT Show is when you got your booth for next year, and you earned your points by being there so many years, so you had to go set in a meeting for four hours and pick your booth, you know, for next year. So things were a lot different, you know, you know it used to be. So. But anyway, um, yeah, life was pretty busy. <laughs> you know, I was just saying to Ryan last night that in the old days that you know, the only really dead period, especially if you hunted turkeys and waterfowl and deer, right. you had about a three or four week period in there that you better get your personal life in because mm-hmm. those other 10 or 11 months, you were rolling and rolling hard. Yeah. And, you know, Jeff, t- uh, hey, the, the, from a personal standpoint, you, you've been in this business a long time. But, you know, a lot of people sacrificed a lot of things to be the success that they were in the hunting world. And those stories never get told. Right, and, and and it goes and it goes into the guiding too, because you know you're guiding, you're away from your family for mm-hmm. hundred days, hundred and fifty days, and you lose a lot to gain the success. I've never seen it in, and maybe I just because I pay attention to the the hunting community more, and it probably is, but. Usually, the most successful people in the hunting industry, man, they lost everything when it came to oh, family, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, their marriage, their, their kids hate them, don't like them much. Well, you're you're never home, you know, and and the worst the worst of all that is is. Most of us, you're in your prime then. You miss the kids growing up. That's the biggest part, you know, because, you, you know, weekends are shows, and, and during a week you're gone, and, you know, it's, it's just you're never home. And uh, even when you are home, you're hunting at home, you know. And when you get home at 7 o'clock at night or 7.30, you pass down the chair because you're beat, tired, and then you're getting up at 4 in the morning. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it, and, and your phone never stops ringing. And that was probably the worst thing I ever had is my phone never stopped ringing and I would never stop answering it. You know, I mean, I could sit in a chair, sit in a chair and talk to people all, all night and sell more stuff sitting in a chair than I could going to the office during the day, you know, because they wanted to hear it, you know. And then, you know, then you've got to line up uh, your hunts for next week and, and your video and, and talk to your sponsors and all that. It is non, non-stop. And so when you, when you talk about this and you go, well, well, he had five months out of the year. Yes. Five months. He got to hunt and all this. It's a job, you know, I love it and I enjoyed it, but it's a, it is a job. So then it's not over at that point. 
Now you just did all that work. Now you gathered all that footage and all that stuff. Now the editing stop starts where you got to be there, you know, and uh, the way it was back then, you would set and watch clip after clip after clip and write down time codes of what you wanted your editor to film, how you wanted it. It takes hours upon hours to go through all these tapes, you know, and uh, and you're doing two videos, two two-hour videos and, and a series of 26 TV shows. You got to do interviews for all this. So you got all this, you know, daily. It seemed like I had a, you know, a green screen thing to do or something or some kind of, we had to figure out a place to do an interview or a commercial for the TV show or, you know, like TV show, we did a, a, a tip, you know, a straight beat tip of the week or whatever, you know, every week. So you had to think of something every week and go to the duck club and dress back up in your waiters and your face paint, do all this and do this, you know, or Lee, Lee Joe's call. Hey man, you gotta get to Minnesota or we gotta go to so-and-so gotta go to here and we gotta take new pictures for this new deal. Then we gotta sit there for three days. I mean, it was, you had to coordinate your time, you know, plus you're running a business trying to sell calls and that, and you're trying to get this and orders going and all this here. So it is, it's way over the top what people think. Then I did two turkey videos, you know, and a turtle hunting video and, you know, and we were filming for other people too, you know, doing other stuff for other people, you know, around, we did some weddings, we did whatever. So, you know, I was just overloading myself constantly with stuff, you know, so um, my only my only getaway from any of it was riding motors riding a Harley on a weekend. You know, if I could get away in the summer and go ride a Harley on one day at a weekend, I was happy camper. You know, so 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 yeah. It was uh, if you're gonna be successful, you got to work hard. Well, look, I, we have spent a lot of time talking about this today, and our plan was to get back into the story, but it, hey. I kind of wanted Bill to be here anyway for, you know, kind of this, this last chapter as, um, as, because I I think it's a very, very important one for everybody to hear. And Bill will be good to have here for, for ask questions. So the last couple that we're going to do this, it finishes out the main part of the story. Uh, to me, it was the most important part of all of it, you know, it's the devastation of it all and the redemption at the end. And I know a lot of people say redemption now that they'll see at the very end, you know, but, uh, of why this was. And, um, so yeah, I think of all things you've heard, the next ones are going to be, you know, the next ones are going to be, it'd be the ones everybody would be wanting to hear about or should listen to. Jeff, let me ask you this. This is where we'll close it out. We're, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes on this. Leading up to when you report for prison, mm-hmm. emotionally, psycho- psychologically, what's going through your head? Oh, gosh, you don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, well, like I said last time, you know, you're 13 months and you're going, finances is a big part of it. Right. You're going to see your family. What about my house? What about my business? What about this? What about that? How am I paying this? How am I going to do this? How do I, how do you, how do you get in your head that 13 months you're going to be going? I got to take care of everything's going to be taken care of for 13 months before I leave. All going to be taken care of. And how do I see all these things, get all this taken care of right before you leave? And, and how do I, and, and then, then in the back of your head at night, when you lay down, you go, holy crap, what's this going to be like when I get there? You know? And 
you know, you don't have you don't have one iota, one clue what that's going to be like when you get there. None. You don't have any clue. You just walk in the door or don't know. So you try to find out as much as you can. You can't Google this stuff. You know, this is stuff you can't find out. You know, you know from somebody that's been there. You just can't. So. There's no way of knowing what can I take, what can I do, can I take uh, addresses for people to write, uh, you know, what can I do, how am I going to get there, what am I going to eat before I get there, what's it going to be, you know, it is an emotional disaster to prepare for this, you know, so you finally just uh, get grips on it, and you, I took care of my financial stuff, and, uh I, I took care of that, all that stuff for 13. Like most of it I tried to take care of for 14, 15 months. So when I got out, I didn't have to deal with it. And how's the business going to run and how's this? I tried to take care of all the best I could with all that. And then, uh, then you finally said, okay, let's go. Let's do this, you know. And then Cole's 18 and he's got to stay at the house and take care of the house. And at that time, I had a big house, a pool and all of that. He's got to take care of all this stuff, you know, so, and, and work at the business. My daughter's at the business. And he's like, do I keep all these people? And then I'm trying to keep those guys. See, Cole and those guys filmed while I was gone. They put out a video uh, when I was gone. So, uh, you know, you got that on your mind and how to coordinate that. And, you know, so. To answer that, there's not one. There's not one. Uh, there's a million things you had to take care of before you went, and that was the stuff that's on your mind. That at least was like on your mind. Like I said, that's that stuff you, you think about at four o'clock in the morning when you wake up. What's it going to be like? What is going to happen when I get there? How am I going to do this? Well, you know. So. So what yeah. you're saying, there's no, there's no orientation for going to federal <laughs> prison. <laughs> and now that orientation lasts about ten minutes. And that's what you, that's when, that, when you get really prepared about that 10 minutes of orientation and that's giving you some clothes, taking everything away from your strip searching you and asking you, I would never forget when I walked in, they go, we got to know what in the, who in the hell did you piss off to be here? Do you know, you are the third guy since the sixties ever been here for a misdemeanor for shooting ducks. And now I'm in a community in Marion, Illinois that's, a hunting community, so even the guards, everybody there, I know them. I know these guys. You know, I've known them for years. I guided that every year. I knew a lot. Of them. I didn't know them all, but I knew a lot of them. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, so then you walk into that mess, you know. Crazy. Can Can you take anything in with you? The only thing I could take, uh, I had a list of uh, what. Uh, I had a list of, uh, uh, I mean, the clothes you wear and whatever you got, they just put it and lock it up till you get out. But uh, no, the uh, only thing I, I had a paper list of uh, emails, emails and addresses and phone numbers, and that there, and they did let me take that, and that was it, you know, and that was where to get a hold of somebody, you know. So uh, I needed that, just, uh, you know, for addresses and all that, because I didn't know how to get a hold of anybody, you know, because you don't remember phone numbers because everybody had a cell phone, you know. So uh, I had, uh, you know, a couple, three pages of that, and they let me take that in. That was it. That's all you take. You ain't taking your cell phone in. You ain't taking anything like that. And that's one of the first things they tell you to walk in. Dude, you're probably, you know, I remember this too. The guy said, you're probably a man who, who, who lived on a cell phone, and I did. You probably lived on a cell phone. Well, guess what? You don't have a cell phone now. Now, you won't be in here four hours, and somebody's going to say, hey, man, you want to call your family? You know, I got a cell phone here, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, you can do that. 
Will you get caught eventually? And what's it going to cost you? 184 days. So don't touch a cell phone. And will you be offered to buy one? Oh, yeah, you can buy one. You can buy one. We'll eventually get it from you. And so I was like, whoa. He was right. I wasn't in there no time. Hey, man, you want to call your family? You want to do it? Nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, as bad as you want to touch that cell phone, you don't. Because if they catch him with the cell phone, then you've got a number in there. They'll trace that, and it comes back to you, and you spend 180. So you first you go to the hole, and then you got another 184 days in prison. So I didn't touch one the whole time I was there. So. So, so no, you don't well, get to take anything in there. This ain't this ain't romper room. <laughs> this ain't going through the country club. <laughs> mm. All different well, We're gonna get into great detail about that next week. And like I said, we got a couple more chapters and closing this out. It's gonna be it's gonna be weird though, Jeff. Not getting together on Tuesdays or Wednesdays and recording with you. You know, that's the nice thing about our, our podcast is it's not a one and done like most podcasts where you just bring somebody in, you you, you ask them, you know, the I would say the kind of the crust, the upper crust questions, and boom, you're mm-hmm. out of here. See you later. Right. Right. You know, that's a, you get to know somebody when you when you spend once a week with them, recording with them. Right. And mm-hmm. anyway, well, we'll get back into it next week. Bill will be back with us, and we'll, okay. we'll start that because it that time, you know, as, as important as most people think the previous chapters in these episodes are, I think the the eye opener is really really coming next week. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'd Jeff. say so. So we'll get in that next week. Jeff, thank you again. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.